0: When I was growing up, uh, one of my favorite things to engage with was fireworks. I loved to go watch fireworks displays, but what I loved even more than that was buying and shooting off my own fireworks. There's something about being a boy and seeing fire and smoke and explosions that just draws you to that kind of thing. Especially as I was older, elementary age, and now on into junior high, you know, you kind of like to blow things up. I mean, we weren't too destructive. You know, you take like a tin can or a bag or maybe your toy Little toy soldiers or whatever, and you like to blow it up and see what it looks like when it blows up. There's just something about those explosions. Every now and then, we'd get one that the fuse would light, the smoke would come out, and we'd wait with anticipation, and then nothing would happen. It was a dud, right? I mean, if you do that enough, you know there's some duds in there. Nothing but a little bit of fire, a little bit of smoke, and then zilch. Nothing happened we get so mad, but most of all, we just be disappointed because, you know, whatever we were working to blow up didn't blow up. A dud has all the makings of a bomb, but it doesn't explode. It looks like a bomb. It smells like a bomb. It smokes like a bomb, but nothing happens. No explosion, no results, no excitement. Sometimes Christians can be the same way. We can profess faith in Christ, go to church, have a Bible, know something about God. But in many ways, we can look, act, talk like others who don't profess Christ. Unless we allow God full access into our lives to bring about real change and real transformation, we will have little impact on others. In some ways, we'll be like a dud. I don't want to be a dud for Christ. Do you? I want my life to count for something. I want to be the real deal for Christ, and I think you do too. I want to be influential for building the kingdom here and now. I think you do too. But that takes commitment. It takes responsibility. It takes intentionality with how we choose to live and act. It takes giving up control of our lives and allowing Christ to have full access and complete control. The Apostle Paul wrote that passage that Doug just read uh, to his young friend uh, Timothy to encourage him and motivate him to set a good example for the people that he was ministering to in the city of Ephesus. Paul was encouraging Timothy to be the real deal, to be an influencer for God. Paul was getting older, and now it was Timothy's responsibility to live as the leader for Jesus to that community and that church, to set an example to the followers of Christ. It was a transition for both Paul and for Timothy. Paul had been the leader of the church, and now he was having Timothy take over as the leader. Have you ever noticed that life is a series of transitions? A number of our young people are graduating today or this weekend or around this time. Some of them are graduating from high school, some of them from college, and it means a transition for each one of them. Maybe it means them actually moving physically. Maybe it just means a transition from one chapter to a different chapter. Uh, some unknowns are involved in those transitions, not just for the students but also for the parents and for the family. And I bet there are a few folks here today Uh, that are experiencing other kinds of transitions in life. Maybe you recently got a different job. If you work at Great Plains, you found out this week that you're going to have a new corporate owner coming in the next couple of months. Some of you maybe have uh, moved recently or you're getting ready to move. I mean, we received the news as a church body this week that Stephen's going to be moving. And we're disappointed for ourselves, but we're excited for Stephen And we can't wait to see what God's going to do for him. But it also means transition and change for our church. Maybe some of you are recently retired or getting ready to retire. Maybe you're entering into a new relationship. Or maybe there's a new baby coming or has come to your family. All kinds of transitions in life, aren't there? Some of these transitions we're excited about and some of them we're kind of anxious about. We're not sure what's going to happen, what it will bring. Whatever transitions we face, we know that God is with us. He's he's the one constant in our constantly changing world. He is good. He is faithful. Uh, he loves us. God is at work in every situation. We can count on those things. We can count on that. We can hold on to our faith that we've received from others, people who have invested in helping us grow in our faith in Christ. We're told in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, that Timothy's mother and his grandmother had passed their faith on to Timothy. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you because we have Christ who goes with us and before us as we face whatever challenges in this world or this life. Uh, Because we've learned uh, valuable faith lessons from those who've invested in us. We can now be an example to others to be the real deal for Christ. In verse 12 of this passage, uh, Paul suggested to Timothy that there are five areas that Timothy could be an example to others. He says, don't, look down, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Now, he could be writing that Timothy was young, and so certainly Timothy probably felt some pressure because he was a young leader. Maybe he'd gotten some feedback that he, he shouldn't be a leader because he was too young. But you know what? Paul, if he was writing that to us, he could write anything that would be in there. You know, we could think about don't let anyone look down on you because you're too old, too tall, too short, uh, too uh, skinny, too heavy, too rich or too poor, uh, lacking hair or having a head full of too much hair. I mean, there can be lots of reasons. Paul and I are the yin and the yang of that deal, right, Paul? Yeah. But he says, don't let anybody look down on you because of whatever you're facing. You know, we can use those things as an excuse not to be an example. We can say to ourselves, whatever thing we're struggling with or whatever challenges we hear, oh, you know, I can't do it because of this. But you know what? God has leveled the playing field. It doesn't matter what your gender is, what your ethnicity is, what your race is, right? Christ has come and we're all level. In Christ, we're all one. There's no one greater than another in Christ. We're all the same. So this morning I want to encourage all of you, no matter what you're facing in life, we have an opportunity to follow Paul's advice. So I want to encourage you to set aside whatever that excuse is and set an example. So let's listen. Let's learn uh, what these five examples are that Paul encourages us to pursue. First of all, Paul encouraged Timothy to be a good example in his speech. In other words, Paul was advising him to be careful in what he said and how he said it. Paul had lived long enough to know that sometimes people twist your words and make it mean something totally different. So we need to be careful. We need to be wise with what we say and how we say it. Because once you say it, you can't take it back. Have you learned that? I have. Boy, once it's spoken, there's no getting it back. You know, whoever said sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt. Can we agree? They were wrong. Right, Words do hurt. They can hurt. They can be very painful. So uh, I don't know how many times when I was growing up I heard my mom say, if you can't say something nice about someone, then don't say anything at all. Right? That's hard, though. It's hard. Hard to control our speech, control what comes out of our mouth. The Apostle James certainly understood how painful and how destructive words can be. In the third chapter of his letter, he compares the tongue to a wild animal that no one can tame. And then he even goes as far as to say that our tongues are full of deadly poison. Now, obviously, he never meant that to be taken literally. He was simply saying, we need to choose our words carefully. Because what we say could result in a lot of pain and suffering for someone else. Paul says it another way in Ephesians 4.29. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So we're reminded that our speech is a tool that can be used to encourage and to build someone up, where it can be used to discourage, and tear someone down. And it's challenging at times to not fail with our speech. I mean, it's easy when we hear a group of people that are making fun of somebody behind their back to kind of join in that digging party, so to speak. Or to say something, uh, a juicy uh, tidbit of gossip that we've heard. Or to say something discouraging to someone who's close to us. It's so hard. But I hope we remember Paul's advice to Timothy to set a good example of what we say and how, how we say it. I personally believe that people should be able to tell that, that we are Christians simply by listening to what we have to say and how we say it. We ought to be different. We have lots of instruction, and we have Christ who walks with us to encourage us to have great speech. The next thing is Paul told Timothy to set a good example in life. Paul knew that as a leader, Timothy was going to be held to a higher standard, that he'd have to be careful to conduct himself in a Christ-like manner as much as possible. And that's not only good advice for pastors and for leaders, but it's good advice for all of us. People are watching to see if we really are going to practice what we preach, what we believe. Unbelievers are quick to criticize the church, even Christianity as a whole, when we conduct, when our conduct and our actions are not Christ-like. Our lives are like living testimonies for Christ. The only question is, what kind of testimony is our life proclaiming? Is it one that's uh, good, it's helpful, or it's hurtful to Christ's cause? Uh, It reminds me of thinking about, you know, life as an example of the story a man named Earl Palmer tells in his book entitled The Enormous Exception. It's a story of a pre-med student who was attending the University of California, and uh, he, he became a Christian after a long spiritual journey, which included many doubts and many questions in the midst of that journey. And when Palmer asked this young man why he had become a believer finally, he answered by saying the thing that had influenced him the most was not the Bible, or it it was not a great Christian book. It was not a message or a sermon that he heard at church. It was because of a fellow student who was a Christian and, uh, and just the actions of that classmate in his own life. You see, this uh, pre-med student had had a bad case of flu at the end of the previous semester, and he had missed a lot of important classes and even some some assignments. And his Christian friend took it upon himself to get all of his assignments, and he devoted himself for a number of days to help this guy catch up in his schoolwork to get current with him. And the pre-med student told Palmer, he said, you know, that kind of thing just isn't done today. I wanted to know what made this guy act that way, the way that he did. I even found myself asking if I could go to his church with him. You see, this, this Christian's life was a powerful testimony to his friend, and it reminds us to do our best to set a good Christian example by the way that we live and the things that we do and, and the way that we treat other people. The Apostle Paul said it really well in Philippians 1, verse 27. He said, whatever happens... Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And if Christians, we have to be careful of the way that we act and the way we live our lives, because whether we want to admit it or not, there are people who are watching us, and, if we, and they want to see if we're really practicing what we believe. Next, Paul encourages Timothy to be an example in love. And Paul knew how important it was for a pastor to love the people that he ministers to. He also understood how important it is for Christians to love one another. Jesus said in the Gospels, he said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 1 John three sixteen through 18, Scripture says this. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now, it's easy for us to hear those words from Scripture, and it's easier for us to say those things for us to actually do to do it, to do love. You know, hearing about Jesus' call for love and Paul asking Timothy and us to set an example of love, it, it reminded me of uh, uh, two guys that I went to college with. When I went to college uh, at Kansas State, I, I made a decision. I was a Christian at the time, and, and, I, and I made a decision to join a fraternity because I wanted to be with a group of guys, the same group of guys, for a period of four years so that uh, my life could, could be an example to them. And uh, to build friendships and to encourage them to follow Christ, find Christ, and follow Christ. And so a fraternity, it's a great place to do that. Because there's a lot of guys who aren't following Christ in that situation. And I can remember there were a handful of believers that were in the fraternity with me, and we kind of had the same... Same goal. We wanted to build friendships. We wanted to encourage guys, help them learn about Christ and discover Christ. And I'll never forget my freshman year, there was a senior in our fraternity. His name was Marvin. And Marvin uh, wasn't a tremendously tall guy. He was about 5'8", five 5'9", five and yet he was really thick and really strong. He was about 180 pounds and it was all muscle. Marvin had been an all-state wrestler. In fact, he won state three years in a row when he was in a big high school in Kansas City. And I just remember thinking that there was no way that I was going to mess with Marvin because even though I was 10 inches taller than he was, he could take me and turn me into a pretzel in about 10 seconds if he wanted to. So I didn't want to mess with Marvin. And Marvin was a guy who didn't at that point know Christ. Uh, he was living life to the full like a lot of guys in the house. Uh, he enjoyed partying. He enjoyed uh, being with gals, with women. And uh, he was just living life to the fullest and all that that meant. But he also didn't understand who Christ was and what Christ was all about. I remember that senior, his senior year, my freshman year, he began to have some struggles. He was asking some of the bigger questions in life and wasn't necessarily liking what he was experiencing. And he began to, some of the guys that had been believers in that fraternity had been investing in Marvin for a number of years, two or three years. And so they had a good, strong relationship with him. He began to ask them questions about their faith, about God. And uh, finally, one day, one of the Christians simply said to Marvin, he said, Hey, Marvin, why don't you go to our Christian fellowship group with us tonight? He goes, the people there are great. They're going to be really nice. They're really accepting. He says, and you're going to hear a great message. Why don't you come? And Marvin decided to go that night with us. And so the guy came over and he said, hey, guess what? Marvin's coming to group tonight. We were like, we were really excited and a little bit surprised, but really excited. We all decided we we're going to go with Marvin because... We wanted him to have a good experience, and we were going to be kind of like his uh, entourage, his secret uh, service, making sure he had a good experience, and nobody took, uh, tackled him or mistreated him or whatever. So we get to the group that night. It's in a big auditorium. It's a large group that meets, and we're waiting for our things to get started, and there's a guy that came over to introduce himself to Marvin. His name was James, and i got to tell you a little bit about James. Uh, James was not a college student. James was an older man. Uh, he had some physiological and... Uh, Mental developmental issues, and so um, he. I think he probably had Tourette's. He had a speech impediment, and and he was kind of always twitching, and uh, and his developmental issues also included that he probably was at about the level of a early elementary age child. And but James, if you knew him, James was a great guy, and he would come up to the guys in the group, and and this is the way he would greet you. He would come up next to you, and. He'd put his arms around you, and he'd give you a big hug. He'd put his head into your shoulder, and he'd just leave it there. And he would just sit there and pat your back and say how much he loved you and how good of a friend you are and how glad he was to be with you and, and that you were there, and, and he would hold on to you for about two minutes. And so, uh, you know, when you knew him, you'd, he, it was really a beautiful thing. It was a kind of an encouraging deal. But all of a sudden, James comes up, he, and somehow he gets through the group of all of us. He comes up to Marvin, and he greets Marvin the traditional James way, puts his arms around Marvin, puts his head on his shoulder. Marvin, so nice to meet you. I love you. I'm so glad you're here. And he didn't let go. And Marvin's just standing there like this. I mean, like, <laughs> and we're all like, we're all dying inside, thinking this is it. He's never coming back. I mean, he, we got him to one meeting, but he's never going to come back. And so. He stayed that night for the meeting and, and then later that night one of the guys who had invited him actually spent some time with them in his room and and then he came into our room. There was two or three guys hanging out and, and uh, Marvin came in with him. He said, Hey, guess what, guys? Marvin has something he wants to tell you. And Marvin said, Hey, I want to ask Jesus uh, into my life tonight. And we we're like stunned. I mean like we we're like, Are you kidding me? This is so cool. And so we, we all sat down, we prayed with them. He prayed to receive Christ, and we were so excited. I mean, that was probably one of the coolest nights when I was in college. And and Marvin, uh, we asked Marvin afterwards, we said, well, Marvin, what, what convinced you to ask Christ in your life? He goes, well, you know, when Dave asked me to go to the Christian group tonight, and I made a decision to go, he said, you know, I've been out questioning whether God was real or not. And he said, I was in my room before the group started, and he said, I I prayed this little prayer to God. I wasn't even sure if it was real. And he said, you know, God, I've been struggling. And if if you're real, can you show me genuine, authentic love tonight at that group? If you show me genuine, authentic love tonight, I know you're real. And so he said, when James came up to me, put his arms around me, hugged me, told me how much he loved me, he said, I've never experienced such pure, genuine, authentic love. And he says, I was convinced at that moment that God was real and I had to do my business with God. Now, isn't it amazing how God works? Because if any one of us had had the ability, we would have made sure that James could not get to Marvin. And yet that was the very thing that God used. Now, guys, I'm not suggesting that you should go to work tomorrow and go to your boss and put your arms around him and put your head on his shoulder and tell him how much you love him and not let go. Please don't take that as my recommendation. What I'm really suggesting is is that that authentic, genuine love is powerful. It has the power to transform lives. It has the power to change people's perspective. And what we need to be thinking about as believers is, how can I demonstrate love that's authentic and genuine, that's from Christ, but it's authentic for who I am and to the person that I'm relating to? You see, here's the deal. People are desperate for real and genuine love, okay? They're looking. They want to know. Is it real? Um, They want to know, you know, can we can we really demonstrate that kind of love? And as Christians, we should follow uh, his example, you know, the, the example that Jesus sets for us. His love for us was and still is unconditional. So I want to encourage you to keep your eye out for those that you come in contact with who you are connected to. Somebody in your life needs to see God's love shown to them, to let them know that they're just as important as anybody else. Love's a powerful thing. Paul also told young Timothy to be the example in his faith. Paul often stressed the importance of being mature in the faith and that we should constantly be growing in the faith. Paul believed that others should be inspired by the way that we model our faith. So how do we live our faith in a post-Christian culture without coming across too strong or too preachy, and yet also not being a dud? We don't want to be a dud, right? I think faith is important. If faith is important and if it's central, Uh, to our lives, we don't have to worry about coming across too strong. It's just who we are. If we're authentic, most people are going to be attracted to that kind of faith. They're not going to be repelled by that kind of faith. I remember when our youngest, Rachel, was about seven or eight years old. She had just uh, given her heart to Jesus a little few days earlier uh, in the backseat of our car, which is an amazing story. I'll tell you that some other time. But But she had just given her life to Christ, and like many new Christians, she was excited. She wanted to share her faith with others. She wanted to make sure others knew about Jesus. And so we had some new neighbors that moved in next door to us and hadn't met them yet. And I was out in the backyard working one morning, and Rachel was out back there with me. She was playing on the swing set. And our new neighbor, the lady that had moved in, came out into her backyard. So I went over to the fence, and I introduced myself to her and and, um, asked her a few questions about her and her family and their transition. And, and then Rachel came running over from the swing set. She wanted to meet the new neighbor as well. And the new neighbor asked, leaned over and asked Rachel, Hey, what's your name? And Rachel told her and said, how old she was. And then Rachel looked at the neighbor and said, Can I ask you a question? And she's like, Oh, absolutely, sweetheart. What do you want to, what do you want to ask me? And she said, Have you asked Jesus into your heart to be the leader of your life? And I'm like, am I, I'm going, are you kidding me? That's too quick, too soon. Let's build a friendship first. But, you know, it was so authentic. It was so genuine. And the amazing thing was the lady smiled and she said, well, honey, absolutely. I am so excited that Jesus is the leader of my life. But thank you for asking me that question. That's a really important question. But it makes me wonder, what was the deal in my reaction? Wondering, oh, Rachel, what are you doing that for? That's crazy. Right. I mean, there's a, something to be uh, authentic In our faith, Uh, is our faith so real, so authentic, that we exude Christ and his character? I'm not saying we need to memorize scripture and share the four spiritual laws with everyone that we come in contact with. But are we living a faith that is infectious and indeed that is influential? The Apostle Peter understood this in 1 Peter 3.15. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope you have. So to live a faith that's authentic, that's genuine, that's influential, we can set an example. Finally, Paul told Timothy to be an example in purity. We should be an example in purity. The word for purity actually uh, primarily refers to sexual purity. This is a challenge for all of us in our culture today. Our culture is hyper-sexualized with TV and movies and Internet and music, and it's seemingly a culture of uh, freedom of casual sexual relationships and sex before marriage. The contrast between God's plan for sexuality and our culture's attitude that anything goes has never been so stark in our nation's history as it is today. We have an opportunity to set an example. And how can anyone stay, stay pure in this culture? Well, I would suggest by a commitment to Christ and to... Um, his plan, and by His grace. His grace is huge in that process as well. And why should we stay pure according to what the Scriptures outline? Well, I could give you a lot of biblical reasons why we should stay pure, but I actually want to suggest a few secular reasons why we ought to consider that. See, every study that's been taken, whether it's religious or secular, about what are the effects of abstaining from sex before marriage, abstaining from living together before marriage, all the studies indicate that those who remain pure before marriage have on percentage much greater marital satisfaction, much greater marriage sexual satisfaction, that's important, and a much higher rate of successful marriages overall. Purity before marriage rocks because it leads to more healthier healthier relationships uh, once we marry. Now, purity isn't just about abstaining from sex before marriage, it's about so much more. I mean, it's about avoiding Internet pornography. It's about keeping a pure mindset in all circumstances. It's about being faithful to marriage vows. It's about being faithful to Christ as a single person. It's about being an example in purity that it should be a goal for all of us, whether we're young or old. And here's the deal. Many of us have made mistakes in the past. Maybe we're still making mistakes. The goal isn't what happened in our past. The goal is what are we going to decide to do today and moving forward, purity is about today, and our commitment to moving forward. And purity is also about a God who loves us, and is, has grace. Is grace filled towards whatever our decisions have been in the past? I want to just share a story with you. Uh, NBA star from a, a few years ago, AC Green, uh, he set a marvelous example in the area of purity. ESPN just this last week ran a thirty for thirty short video on a c Green he was a well known player played uh, what, best known for playing with the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, he was best known in the NBA as being the Iron Man in the NBA. He set the record for the most games played in ro- in a row without missing a game eleven hundred and ninety two games in a row it 's amazing, but what he 's remembered for even more is for his commitment to remain a virgin until he was married, which made him a standout, especially since he played for the Lakers, and most of the Lakers were known for partying and uh, hanging out with women and all that other stuff that went on. He was one of NBA's most eligible bachelors, and he did not marry until after he retired uh, when he was about 36 or 37 years old. But he finally was married in Los Angeles to Veronica Green. He said, I've waited a while for marriage to take place, but my beautiful wife has been well worth the wait. And then his wife said, A.C. is the man I've waited my whole life To know that he's also been faithful and waiting for me is the best wedding present I could ever imagine. And when he was asked about his wedding after the long vow of purity until marriage, he said, it was worth the wait. What a contrast in our culture. Uh, Great example. And again, a message like this can bring up guilt for us as we talk about all these examples of character in each of these areas of life. It can bring about guilt issues for us who failed in those areas of character. And we need to be reminded that every one of us has failed in some aspect in, re- in regards to being an example. There's not one of us, I believe, that could probably stand up here and say we've been perfect in relationship to that. Paul himself, who wrote this letter to Timothy, talks at great length about one, in one of his other letters in Romans about his own struggles and his own failures. The passage and the message is not meant to guilt us to perfect behavior It's just not going to happen, okay? Rather, today's message ought to prompt us to maybe consider two decisions in our journey, in our walk, in our life. One decision is to ask for forgiveness from Jesus for our sins. No matter how you failed in the past, today is a new day, and God's grace is sufficient for you and for your sin, whatever that has been. The second decision is to recommit our lives to follow Christ and to be his devoted disciples today and moving forward, setting an example for others in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Don't be a dud. Be the real deal for Christ. Choose to be an influencer with the one life and the gifts that God has given to you. It is truly a gift, and God is good. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today For this passage that came from Paul to Timothy and now to us. God, we recognize that there's some real challenges there in in allowing our lives to be an example for others. Lord, we're thankful that we have the presence and the strength of Christ to help us to be a good example. Lord, we also confess that we failed in some area or some areas in this way. God, we're thankful for your grace and your forgiveness and your calling to move forward in you and not to be stuck in that place where we messed up, but that we're a new person, a new creation in Christ. God, give us the strength and the courage to be a good example. Lord, we love you. We want to follow you. We want to do right, what's right for you and for others. So, God, we pray that you'd help us in that regard. We give ourselves to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Do you stand as we respond to the word we just received?